On today's Key to Culture podcast, I am honored to have as my guest, Bill Prinzavalli. Bill is a business owner. He's owned four companies in his time. He is a business consultant. And for the last seven years, he has done improv as a hobby and now moving into his business consultancy using improv to improve company morale and productivity and connectedness. So without further ado, let's get to the podcast. Welcome to the Key to Culture podcast, a show that explores the sometimes unseen forces that animate, connect, and unleash thriving companies and teams. You're listening to the Key to Culture podcast, exploring vital energy and life force at work with Tom Kelly. Welcome to the Key to Culture podcast. Today, we have Bill Prinzavalli. Bill, welcome. Hi. Thank you, Tom. It's good to be here. Awesome. And yeah, we, we have had, this is the 10th podcast, and we've had everything from systems people talking about how to organize an entire business in a system. We've had nutritional consultants, all kinds of things. And I'm real psyched to introduce wow. into the audience the idea of improv as something mm. that can really um, enhance a, a business. So why don't you just give me a little bit about how you got into improv and then sure. you know we'll, we'll dive deep into how it benefits a business. Sure. Um, actually, Tom, I, I mean, I'm a traditional business consultant specializing in small firms because the, the organizations that I created were small businesses, although one of them did reach a, a $10 million annual revenue and did get quite large. But my, spe- my specialty is working with smaller to medium-sized organizations that want to move to the next level. Mm-hmm. I've been doing that for, for several years with several organizations. In 2012, just for fun, I, I took a, an improv class, and uh, it really captured me. And I've been doing it ever since. I, I found it compelling. Uh, I, I found there's a lot of internal self-growth, self-exploration. It's, it's just an amazing uh, amount of information that has continued to capture me, to, and I continue to do it. Recently, to, to answer your question about how I got into this, uh, recently I was doing a paper at a uh, university uh, to finish off a degree that I started many years ago. And um, I was doing an independent study with a uh, professor, and we were talking about the sustainability of organizations mm. in terms of their profitability. And, you know, back in the 70s when I started business, the goal was very simple. The purpose of a, an organization is to make a profit, period, end of sentence. Yeah. Now it's changing, especially in his view and many people's views, that if organizations only focus on making a profit, they're not really sustainable if they're not offering society some benefit, right? right? So with that, we embarked upon that study, and I was uh, reading papers and writing reports, etc., on uh, the sustainability of, of, of the organizations, introducing consciousness into the organizations, ethics, spirituality, if you want to use that word. Uh, and during that process, he found out that I do improv in the city. Right. And to my surprise, he said, well, you know, we study improv in the management field. And I said, no, you've got to be kidding. Uh, so he said, no, we study it in terms of its benefits, in terms of how people can think on their feet, uh, authenticity, etc." So what I did in this last semester is I did a, an independent study with him on specifically on improv, its feasibility, its benefits, uh, and how it can be introduced into the marketplace. 
And hence, I have a whole plethora of information now about this, seeing that there is quite a buzz about it in the industry. And so I will be putting together a new website and um, perhaps write a book about it and figuring out how I can add this into my consulting work to benefit organizations. Sure, sure. Is there science behind it? I guess, uh, I, I guess the answer is yes. I, I would say that because the concepts behind it are things like uh, deep listening. Uh, the concepts are about authenticity. So these are... Uh, I would say not uh, scientific in a sense of, of technicality, but more scientific in, in terms of uh, psychological, emotional, sociological uh, aspects that are all important in people's own self as well as their interaction with others. I can yeah. totally see that. Daniel Goldman, the emotional intelligence guy, mm -hmm. it was the most natural thing in the world to just write a book about emotional intelligence in business. But yeah, it, it's kind of like, Reading a book on emotional intelligence is one thing, but that's like reading a book on riding a bicycle, like <laughs> awareness of your own emotional intelligence in the space of a business is where I think you're going to, where improv moves in, right? Yeah, yeah, that, and yes. And that's, that, that's a wonderful example of how, especially in the world of academia, uh, you know, in academia, you know, we're, we're taught content, which is mental, left brain, whatever word we want to use there. And then we get into the real world and, um, you know, in business, a lot of decisions are made not just on content or logic or information, but there's an emotional component to it, all right? How many bosses, et cetera, that there's an emotional component to many decisions and students are generally not prepared for that. So actually my professor asked me to teach his class, and I've done that a couple of times now, improv, business class, these are MBA students. And it was fabulous because, you know, as you say, you can, you can use your mind to, to study EQ, but if you don't experience it, it's not going to happen because they're different frequencies, right? The mind and the emotion. So as different frequencies, you have to adjust it on that frequency. So when I do the exercises with them, I might give them a little bit of background just to satisfy the intellect, but mostly it's two or three hours of experiential work where they really feel what's going on. And that has a greater impact, I think, for the future than a mental concept. Absolutely. And, and with so much of business being connection, yeah. you know, connection, empathy, you can't, you can't just learn that. You have to do it and be it and experience it. I also think that um, I heard one time an interesting thing about Ronald Reagan, that he, because he was in movies, he knew how he looked. Mm. So he had this awareness of how his mannerisms and his voice and so he used that to you know to his advantage and i think that that struck me as oh yeah that's interesting but also maybe inauthentic because you're faking it or something how is how does authenticity intersect with acting you could do five takes or whatever right. improv right. is notorious for <laughs> but how does how, how big a part does authenticity play it plays a big part and i understand what you're saying because that's really what you're talking about there is manipulation and, and even all of these books in terms of uh there's a lot of, of books in terms of uh how to how to make the sale right uh how to how to influence people etc cetera, etc cetera. and a lot of those techniques can be ripe for inauthenticity right? Uh, can be ripe for manipulation. So, uh, so a couple things uh, come to mind. 
there was a, a woman I studied, her name was uh, Mary Gentile. She's got a process out in the field called GVV, giving a voice to value. She's a professor uh, who, study, who teaches ethics, and she's been doing this for many years. And her statement is that she thinks she failed. That, you know, in all the years she tried to teach ethics, she doesn't really think she made a, an impact. What she did find in her research was that people who are ethical will be ethical, and people who are not ethical won't be. And it's tough to teach them to be different. But the big, big impact she made was helping ethical people speak properly. For example, uh, how many times she says, does, a, does your boss come over and say, listen, you know, fudge those numbers, or shave this, or put, move these sales into it, just things that are really, you know, not ethical. Uh, sometimes to the point of being just outright criminal, but that's the extreme case. And the problem is, even people that were ethical were shocked and surprised when they would be affronted with this, uh, you know, request, and had no good response. And generally the response was quiet or not, and they would go back and, and be in all sorts of angst and, and eventually do it most of the time. Sometimes they did. Yeah. So what she does is um, she prepares people uh, to give voice to what their values already are. And so she creates scenarios and situations and role playing in terms of what do you say when your boss says do this, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, uh, and so that process uh, is, is pretty popular now. It's being taught in all the universities. It's on five continents. Uh, she's taught it in business, etc. So I had a conversation with her uh, a couple of months back when I was writing the uh, previous paper. And, and I, I told her as I was talking to my professor that I think the improvisational principles can be, can be blended very nicely into that role playing. Uh, she agreed with that. And so actually I'm going to be doing some work with her. Uh, at least offering some, some, something to her if she accepts it to see how that can be improved upon. Right. So, so now getting back to, to your statement in terms of the inauthenticity, what improv is about is about deep listening because if you have two people talking to each other on stage with no script, if you're not listening, you've got nothing. <laughs> right. And then it's, it's not just listening, but it's deep listening. So what I mean by that is listen for the sentiment underneath the words. Because right? how many times have we said to someone, you know, I heard what he said, but I don't believe him. Right. Because the words didn't match the sentiment, right? Yep. So in improv, we teach people to read the sentiment under the words. And we have exercises to do that. Uh, that's step number one. Step number two is then to receive that and to see how you really feel about that. Not from your mind, but how you really feel. Are you angry? Are you sad? Are you, you know, what is your real feeling in that regard? Right then. Right then. Because you don't want to just come to your mind. You want to feel it. So now you have an honest connection, an interaction. You heard what they really said, and you're aware, self-assessment, you're aware of what you really feel. Now you respond authentically, hopefully. Now, you can put a filter in there to, to, do, to, to add some discretion all right, because if you, you, you can say something to your boss, for example, which will get you fired in a moment. That's a ridiculous right? idea. Yeah, right. So you want to have some discretion uh, in terms of what the consequence might be of your words, but you do want it to be authentic. Now, uh, so the key is there. The authenticness is like it, it, you're going to have it or you're not. You know, you're either going to manipulate and, and lie or you're going to be authentic or not. 
So just as Mary points out in her work, she can't force people to be authentic or ethical. And here, I cannot force people to be authentic, but I just want them, I just want them to be conscious. And see, that's the thing. It's more like conscious communication. I want them to be conscious of what this person is saying. You know, so to really what they really, really mean by those words. I want them to be conscious of what they're feeling in response to that. And now we have some some clear communication that's accurate, etc. And in my view, conscious. Now they can make a conscious decision in terms of their response, as opposed to, you know, working off of some pre-programmed notion when your boss says this, you should say that, and you're just going from head to head to head. Or the default is just yes. Exactly, exactly. And then you betray yourself. This is so fascinating because it seems every, everyone I talk to in this field, it seems like they, they put another layer onto some already awesome, huh. like we're, I was talking to uh, one of the guests about the difference between discussion and dialogue. Okay. Discussion is like percussion. It, it's two ideas banging into each other. Mm. Discussion is just, oh, here's what I think. Here's what I think. Dialogue is listening for meaning. Nice. And you're saying deeper listening than that even is, okay, you get the meaning and then you start to see how it actually lands. Yeah. And now we're, we're into, I think it's, it's, yeah, it seems like now there's so much more information. I bet you, you tell me, but I bet that, a lot of times the next thing taught in the improv or, or worked on is another question to give that, to give the person who's asking that weird ask another chance to uh-huh. find themselves. Yeah, it can be. The biggest advantage that, that, that one has at this point though, is that they've heard clearly what the first person says. They know clearly what they're feeling. So now their response, they can go anywhere. Right? It could be another question if they need clarification. It could be a response you know, to their comment. It, it's interesting in the uh, in the traditional improv classes, you know, that that you take and uh, that that go on stage, you know, for for comedy, improv yeah. comedy. Yeah. They tell you don't ask a question. They tell you because you don't know where it's going to go. No, because you're not offering your partner anything. Oh, it's kind of funny. I, I know it's contradictory to what you're going to say, but let me just come around back to it. Like if you start an improv, if, if we're starting an improv and I say, hey, so how are you? I'm not giving you anything. So if we start an improv where I can say, hey, Tom, you know, it's, it's, it's great to see you again. You know, I hope we have a nice lunch here today. I'm giving you something. Yes. Right. And now you can say, yes, lunch is great and it's good to see you again, Bill, because you had no idea what I was going to say. Right. So in that process, they say it's much better to offer something as opposed to ask a question. Because you ask a question because you don't know where to go. So you sort of dump it on them. Say, hey, what's going on? Okay? Hating, you're abdicating. That's right. So that's the traditional improv comedy rule. You know, don't ask a question, give information. However, in a, a dialogue, as you point out, if you truly have a question about what this person said, in any dialogue, even in an improv and comedy, if you have a, a true question about needing some clarity, by all means, say, hey, well, by that did you mean X, Y, Z, et cetera, to open the conversation. Uh, so in that regard, questions are opening statements, all right? And that's the opposite of, when, uh, of what happens so frequently, like if an employee goes to an employer and says, hey, have a great idea. The employee, the, the boss is, is frequently so busy, they just say, no, 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 and they move on. They're just shutting everything down. They're just closing the conversation down and they're shutting down the energy, the inspiration of the person coming to them. 
So that's really not a great thing to do. Instead, they should keep it an open question and as you point out, ask a question maybe, even if they're not crazy about the idea. You know, they might say, well, tell me a little bit more about it and what about this and what about that? Even if they know in the end it's not a good place, they're helping that person get there with these questions and they're opening their minds. Yeah. And for uh, in, a, in a business arrangement, I think that's superb to open the conversation and help people guide there as opposed to just shutting them down. Totally. So, so with improv, you, you deal with the giver and the receiver. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a 360 yeah. deal. So management and employees and, and collaboration and everything. Yes. I mean, with improv, it's, it, it circles back and forth. I'm deep listening. I do self-assessment. You know, I, I respond authentically, and then they're, now they're doing the same thing on their side. They're listening deeply, feeling what they have, what, what they're really feeling, self-assessment, and then responding authentically. So now we have a conscious communications. In fact, the last time I, I taught my professor's class about a month ago, he had another professor sit in class, uh, and, and I tell them, by the way, I said, no, you can't observe, you have to participate. <laughs> I, said, I said, because everybody here, we're all jumping in this together, everybody's self-conscious, so we all participate and she was great and at the end of the conversation she said she said Bill I can see you offering this uh, in terms of uh, EQ and in terms of uh, communications uh, because that's what it really is it's really about deeper communications even Havel Hendricks I don't know if you're familiar with his work but he's a, a wonderful brilliant psychologist he and his wife created this uh, Imago therapy where let's say for husband and wife as an example to improve their communications if the husband says uh, XYZ to, to his wife, what his wife would do is basically repeat that and say, so I understand you're saying XYZ, is that right? And if so, then, then she responds. And it goes back and forth like that. Uh, that's in order to ensure that you've heard that person. Yes. So, it's, uh, it, so it's quite, yeah, it, it's, it's a round robin con continuing conscious communications. Oh, I, I, thank you for reminding me of that because that's so important in business where you get marching orders and you don't understand them completely. Yeah. And it's like, that's a disaster. You know, you, you, you could get a one thing to something and be, well, I thought you said, Oh my God. Yes. How often does that happen? Yeah, exactly. And that, that's because of the, the quick, quick pace of things. Yeah. So at what point or how, how do you introduce this? Like what, what is the, yeah. at what, maybe at what point is, is the, is the company ripe? for this what are some yeah. well i'm exploring that now but as i, I did this recent research uh, i spoke to a, a couple of organizations and one of them was a consulting company uh they've got about 20 clients uh, locally and as soon as i mentioned it to him he goes oh great he said i can use that for my sales team because what he's thinking of is his sales team doesn't always listen to the clients right uh so i i could see this i i could see people understanding the connection uh, and the applicability of this for their sales teams. Deep listening, authenticity, timing. I mean, there's a whole bunch of benefits. Uh, timing, tolerance, uh, knowing when to say yes, when, when, knowing when to say no, uh, understanding and practicing how to be uncomfortable uh, with silence. Okay? So there's a lot of techniques in improv that are really critically important to do a proper improv. For example, when you're uncomfortable because two people are not speaking with each other, how often does one person out of nervousness, anxiety, just spit out something and it's usually stupid. Yeah. I mean, 
really is. It worsens the situation. It, it, exactly, it worsens the situation. So, so all of these techniques are wonderful. It's easily seen that these are wonderful for sales teams. So that could be a good starting place. But clearly, it's beneficial also for uh, you know, team leaders, for, for anyone in, in the organization. But that's, uh, that's an application that I know people are aware of. So I'm going to be pursuing this now, and I'm going to be talking to, to different people in different organizations and basically asking them what their issues are, what their problems are, and, and trying to understand how I could best present it and who I could best present it to. Yeah, I almost think that it's a natural as a company conference or a, a, mm-hmm. an, a, like an offsite meeting just for bonding and just yes. for breaking the ice. But then it's so much deeper than that, like management. That's right. That's, right. that's, a, that's a team building process. Well, yeah, team yeah. building. But then yeah. once, you, once you get a taste of it, it's like, oh, it's not just for breaking the ice and team building. This is for – because, yeah. okay, so I was in sales for decades. Yeah. and. One of the first things you learned in training was, um, you've heard this, like the, you, you ask for the order and then you shut up. And they and at the training, they really make a big, big thing of just the, the first person who speaks loses. Like there's a loser. Right. There's so much movement towards win-win situations and obviously yes. long-term viability of a relationship. So it's like, it's not the first person who speaks loses. It's the first person who speaks costs the interaction quality mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. juice uh, you know yeah. so yeah. i love that and to just learn it is no good you have to be in live fire you know like live situations to actually yeah. get it in your bones yes and the team building thing is is quite interesting i mean i remember years back they used to go away for a weekend and do a you know a real uh you know uh i don't know scavenger hunt or whatever they did out in the world or they like trust falls rope yes, exactly yeah so that's a little tough but here Team building is really, really does work here uh, because it's like everybody's in this together. Uh, and uh, if you don't work with each other, you have nothing. And it really is amazing the exercises that different people have. I mean, there are different uh, sort of schools of improv, and all of them have these exercises that are designed to warm you up. But what they do is they really create a bond between people, right? And um, and that bond is pretty pretty awesome. You really get a very deep connection when you work with someone, even for a short period of time. So team building is a clear thing I think people can understand. Yep. But then as you get into it and you look at all these other advantages, you'll find it, it's much deeper. Well, it can be much deeper. There are folks that are just doing team building with this, and you know what, that's great. Yep. But I, I'd like to go a lot deeper than that. Right, because full disclosure, Bill and I are part of a organization called the Mankind Project, mm-hmm. which is, it's an amazing organization, but it's a lot about getting in touch with your own emotional intelligence and, and feel. And so, yeah, it's, it's, we see the benefits in people's lives. And I, the way, what I say is people are spending eight or 10 hours at the workplace. Like, I, I really feel the future is, People want to go to a workplace that also doubles as like a Kripalu or a Esalen or a, a, a Omega Institute. Like, why not? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a beautiful goal. I hope uh, it'll be beautiful to get there. But, uh, some organizations are so far away from that. So it might take us some time. But there are, there are organizations. That in, in my study last semester, I found several organizations that work in a really non-traditional way 
where, for example, there's no management team. That people come in when they want, leave when they want, uh, work however they want, and some of these organizations they even have no managers. They just decide what they want to do to contribute to the organization. Uh, I mean, totally freewheeling. I mean, I had my head tough to get my head around that one because I, I came up in the old traditional style of organization. But I certainly understand how that would inspire people and inspire their creativity. Yeah? Because, you know, like we talked about it 10 minutes ago, if an employee goes to an employee, uh, to their boss, and basically says, I got an idea, so quickly shut down. So what does that do? I mean, that just shuts their creativity down. Yeah. Whereas with improv, it's like, uh, or, or the organizations we just talked about, it's almost like a, like a think tank or a research organization where, you know, you're paid to come up with ideas. And you're paid to open up your mind and, and, and think out of the box because you've got to create something new, innovative and creative. Yep. So in that process, you will make mistakes. In fact, you'll probably make mistakes 98% of the times until you find that one thing that works. Yep. So there, mistakes are not only accepted, you have to have them. Because if you have no mistakes, that means you're being so cautious that you're not thinking out of the box. Yes, which was fine when you were putting a rivet on a, a Corvette. You, you, yeah. I don't want creativity, but we're not, you know, not many people are making Corvettes anymore. So we're, right. we're about ideas and innovation. And, and also, how was the morale at the place where they put the rivet on the car? I don't That's know. Right. Yeah. It's probably not that good. Yeah, and if that, and if that uh, employee uh, has a better idea on how to do the rivet, it's nice to, to have, for him to have the feeling authorized to, to, to make that offer. Totally. So what about resistance? I can imagine taking improv at the college. Were yeah. there some people, because it's the MBA course, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. as if they also signed up for improv. So right. some people who resisted it, and if so, what do you, is there, is there a way? Sure. Yeah. Well, the, the last class I taught, for example, about 15 students all graduating. And actually, in the previous one, they were a little bit older in their 30s because they were like a, like a Saturday MBA program. And yeah, and in both classes, there was such, such a wide spectrum of those that were ready to jump in and those that were just didn't want any part of it. But uh, the exercises that I do, uh, I, I keep that in mind. For example, I assume everyone's going to be self-conscious. I was when we first started. So the exercises I really set up very gradually so that they can start with very innocent exercises. In one case, for example, I'll tell them, okay, form a circle, turn away from each other so nobody can see what you're doing, and then just relax, make a moan, make a, a gesture, whatever it is, to get them to loosen up a little bit. Yep. Then what I'll do is, uh, for some of the exercises, I'll put them in diets, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, uh, and have them all work at the same time so that nobody else can see them. Mm. And, and so I, I, there are several exercises like this that I will do giving, you know, considering the sensitivities of their self-consciousness so that little by little they relax and they open up and they, you know, vent a little bit, scream a little bit, maybe dance a little bit, whatever it is, some movement just to loosen them up a little bit. Uh, uh, so I, I spent a lot of time doing that. Out of a three-hour session, I might spend an hour and a half to two hours doing that because this is not what they used to. Uh, so it's only the last third of the class or maybe even quarter of the class that we actually do scenes. And so when that happens, you know, when I first do is I'll ask for two volunteers, you know, rather than put people on the spot. And I find that there's a couple of people that just want to jump right in. Uh, and then we'll, we'll do it, and I'll give all of them an opportunity, but there will be some 
that may not want to do scenes in front of the whole class, but they will have done many exercises before that. So everyone will get it. In fact, I even tell them at the end, uh, because you know, I felt bad for the people that are shy. You know, and I know that, I used to be shy as a kid. And so at the end of that class, for example, I told them, I said, look, don't measure yourself based on how many scenes you did, right? Because everyone moved, everyone grew, everyone stretched. In fact, the quietest ones might have stretched the most, right? So just applaud yourself for being here and for giving it your all and for participating in this. And because uh, that's all you can ask of people. It's, I think it's great. That shyness, people have it, but it's probably counterproductive for a workplace because they don't get their ideas heard. and They, don't, yeah. they probably get trampled on a little bit if they can't speak their truth. Exactly. So hopefully, you know, these exercises will help them a little bit. I mean, there was a scene once with, uh, I did with two people, and uh, I, I said the scene with the two people were working on a project for two years, and, and, uh, uh, and one of them uh, went to the boss and, and, and declared it as all theirs, okay? So then uh, uh, I set up the scene where that the, the first person approached the second person saying, hey, what, what did you do here, you know? And that person had trouble getting angry, you know? And so I sort of pushed them a little bit, and, uh, and over and over, and I, I raised the stakes a little bit, saying, listen, if this doesn't happen, you're going to lose your job. Now see what you do. So I wanted to push to see, to see what his internal system would do for him, right? So at the end of the scene, you know, I said, how did it go? And he basically said, well, you know what? I have trouble because I like people to like me, and I have trouble doing that. I said, okay, great. Just know that about yourself now. Get into that situation again in, in, in real life. Get some support. Well, however that is, bring somebody with you, prepare for it, uh, or, or just know that, know that about yourself and find some way to get what you need, knowing that that's a, that's a personality situation that you have, a personality characteristic that you have. Um, and same thing with the opposing person who kept saying no, which I had instructed her to do in order to make the scene compelling. Yep. Uh, she basically said, I had a lot of trouble saying no because it's a difficult thing for me to do. And I said, well, let me tell you, you had no problem in the scene. And it came across as very strong. So I want to tell you that you are able to do this effectively, even though internally it's difficult. So these things pop out, and I think it's good guidance for them and good help knowing them because that situation is real. That's not something you can do from a mental perspective, you know. Uh, so hopefully they left, well, I know they did. They left knowing that about themselves which would hopefully help them when they get into that situation another time. I, that's fantastic. I think we come full circle to then you're providing them something that they normally would have to get on the weekend at a retreat center or in a program, self-awareness. People don't even know to look for it, let alone get it and have it. That's why I find this so rich. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I, I studied improv in a couple of different places and a couple of different techniques. And I'm sure I just blended it with all of my life experiences. And so when I, when I taught those classes, I just sort of, you know, I just sort of watched myself. And, and I said, oh, wow, I'm looking at this and I'm doing this, et cetera. And so I, all of this, you know, is in my mind thinking about how I could present this to really make an impact in the best way possible for people. And it's, it's a lot more than just team building. So I'm still, I'm still form, forming that right now, but, um, but I feel very fortunate that I've, I've learned this and sort of fell into this 
intersection of these two uh, business and improv. And, and that thing you said about it's taking the sum of who you were and putting a new modality on it. I'm finding that almost everyone I talk to yeah. where, where they, they, they had a life of self-improvement and self-awareness and then they found this modality which becomes like the flower. Yeah. This is what you can do with this. So their eyes are big and See, that's one advantage at one advantage of age, huh? Right. You gotta yeah. So I think we're at about time, but um where can people find you? Where My website is uh, princevalley-consulting.com. All right, and uh, on there is my contact, all, all the contact information. Uh, and that's my generic website, my consulting website. The improv website is not built yet, but this one is, uh, yeah, Prince Valley you know, hyphen, uh, not underscore hyphen, consulting.com. Awesome, and we'll put it, when we put this on the um, different platforms and on the Quantius sponsor site, we'll, we'll spell that out. Perfect, well, thank you so much. This oh. has been, been fantastic. Opened my eyes to some great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll have you, when you get rolling, we'll have you on again. That'd be great. Tom, I appreciate it, thanks so much. Awesome. Okay, you too. Thank you for listening to the Key to Culture podcast, sponsored by Quantius, the premier marketing agency for emerging technology. Quantius, smart, fast, curious.